There is a fifth dimension, beyond that which is known to man. It is a dimension as vast as space and as timeless as infinity. It is the middle ground between light and shadow, between science and superstition. It lies between the pit of man's fears and the summit of his knowledge. This is the dimension of imagination. It is an area which we call the Twilight Zone. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Dimensions, a Twilight Zone podcast. I'm your host, Bill Couch. We are now on episode three of season one, titled Mr. Denton on Doomsday. Now, of course, there are spoilers ahead, so if you haven't seen the episode, go ahead and pause this and go watch it and come back. And, of course, if you want to leave me feedback on this or any other episode, email me at dimensionstzpodcast at gmail.com. And don't forget to like and subscribe. Tell your friends. Tell everybody. It was written by Rod Serling and directed by Alan Reisner, who this was his only Twilight Zone episode that he directed. It was produced, of course, by Buck Houghton. Music by Bernard Herman. The cast were Dan Durier, Martin Landau, Gene Cooper, and Malcolm Atterbury. You can watch this episode on Hulu and Netflix. And the original air date was October 16th of 1959. And now here's Will Lasley with the opening narration of Mr. Denton on Doomsday. Portrait of a Town Drunk named Al Denton. This is a man who's begun his dying early. A long, agonizing route through a maze of bottles. Al Denton, who would probably give an arm or a leg or a part of his soul to have another chance. To be able to rise up and shake the dirt from his body and the bad dreams that infest his consciousness. In the parlance of the times, this is a peddler. A rather fanciful-looking little man, in a black frock coat. And this is the third principal character of our story. Its function, perhaps to give Mr. Al Denton his second chance. This was the first of the Western episodes of Twilight Zone, of which there will be a few, for sure. Um, that being said, I, I find this to be one of my favorite episodes Upon later viewing, when I was younger and used to watch The Twilight Zone, this one never really stuck out to me. But as I watched it when I was older, I maybe age adds a nice little level of experience that you may not have when you're a younger person to the point that you see things through maybe a different colored lens, so to speak. But I find that of the Western episodes, uh, this one I find is done pretty well, although most of them in the time that they were done were somewhat stereotypical and, and sort of uh, cleaner than maybe the West would have been. Although in 1959, you really couldn't, you know, air Deadwood in that social climate or the pearl clutching would be at monumental levels. But I find that this story, especially for a Western, is a better story than some of the other Western episodes that come later in the series. Now, when we meet Mr. Denton, he 
is stumbling drunk out of a saloon onto the stereotypical main street of a western town, presumably sometime in the late 1800s. And as we discover, we also meet the character of Henry J. Fate, played by Malcolm Atterbury. Now, this is... Um, I, I There's ham-fisted and then there's ham-fisted, and I think naming the character Henry J. Fate was about as on the nose as you could possibly get, you know. Uh, so that, I think they could have changed it and made the character about the same, if not as equal of importance. You don't really need the name to make the character important in this situation. Now, at this point, we also meet Dan Hoteling, played by Martin Landau. Now, the the funny thing about Westerns back then is if you ever watch Roy Rogers or any of the old Westerns, you'll notice that the good guys always wore lighter colored clothes and the bad guys always wore black clothes or black hats where the white guys wear lighter clothes and white hats. And Serling makes this apparent when we see Hoteling and his gang because they're all wearing black hats and have dark colored clothing on, whereas Al Denton is wearing what looks to be like a, a jean shirt, sort of, that kind of material. But it's not black. You know, it's not a dark, dark color like Martin Landau's character and the rest of them. So I don't know if this is Serling's nod to the westerns of a short time before this time, or if it was just some art director or or set designer or costume designer saying, well, you know, the bad guys should wear black and the good guys should wear white and that's just how it is because that's just how it is. You don't really know, but yet here we are. And this episode also starts the trend of Twilight Zone episodes where, and you'll notice it throughout the series if you watch it, um, everyone sweats constantly. Um, I don't know if it had to do with the fact that there was no air conditioning anywhere back in the late 50s, early 60s, or what the deal was, but I mean, everyone from a businessman in a suit in an office in a high-rise to a lonely drunk on the street in the middle of a western town is sweating like a crackhead, and it always kind of, you know, amazed me that people back then could just sweat and sweat and sweat and sweat, and that's what they did, you know. I mean, in some episodes, I get it, like this one. You know, you're in a western town, and it's the 1800s. Obviously, there's no air conditioning. Obviously, it's hot as hell, and you're going to sweat a lot, especially if you're drinking. Anyone that's been drinking knows if you're out in the heat and you're drinking, you're going to sweat a lot. So Dan Durier plays Al Denton, who is basically, at this point in his life, the town drunk. And it's never mentioned in the episode if he had any sort of profession, if he was a farrier or a stagecoach driver or something. All you know is that he is now the town drunk, and he is constantly ridiculed by people and constantly picked on by the character of Dan Hoteling, played by Martin Landau who plays his character uh, really, really quite well, I think. Um, I've always liked Martin Landau. I've always thought he was a decent actor. I wouldn't say he was one of the best I've ever seen, but this role that he plays in what would be the earlier parts of his career is, is really good. I think he's really good at 
at, at least in this episode, playing sort of a sadistic bully type, and I think it really suits him. Now, Martin Landau we'll talk about because he shows up again in a later season in an episode entitled The Jeopardy Room, and he's really good in that also, uh, but we'll discuss more about him when that episode comes up. So Al Denton is in the street, and Hodling comes out with his gang, and for Al to get a drink, he has to sing a song to Hodling, and the song is How Dry I Am, which, doing a little research on it, I discovered that this song, while fitting to the episode and to the narrative itself, is historically inaccurate because the part of the song that he sings, How Dry I Am, comes from a song written by Irving Berlin entitled The Near Future, which came out sometime in the 1900s, which would have been after the time of this episode. And digging a little deeper, it's a part of a song that was a college drinking song that dates back to 1898, which had similar lyrics, but not the same lyrics. And so this song, while fitting, is historically inaccurate. Not that anyone's going to cry foul while watching a 60-year-old black-and-white television show. So Hodling has had his fun and made Denton sing. So he breaks the bottle against the the railing and throws it out to the street for Denton to get and, you know, drink the last of. And so you kind of feel for the character, so to speak, of Al Denton in the fact that, you know, he's he's gripped with an addiction, uh, which, you know, no one knew anything really about mental health back then in the way that we know today. But obviously, uh, Denton was dealing with some stuff. If he's willing to drink whiskey out of a broken bottle in the middle of the street while sweating like a crackhead in the middle of the sun. And then we see, as Rod put it, the other character of this story. As Denton is lying there in the street, he comes upon a six-shooter and he picks it up almost as if he's never seen one or really never held one before. And it's at this point that we meet the other character in the story of Liz, played by Jeannie Cooper, who plays sort of the the head prostitute slash Miss Kitty sort of type of the saloon in the town, who you can kind of tell has uh, a lot of sympathy toward Denton. Like, she knew him from before and kind of watched him go downhill. And you sort of get that when they have the interaction where she says that, uh, seeing him hold the gun, she says, you know, you used to be pretty good with a gun, weren't you, Al? And he said, yeah, I, I was pretty good. So we learn that Al, in his previous life, before he was in a drunken stupor for most of his day, was a gunfighter. And he was actually... Good enough that, in his words, he said that every day someone would ride down the street and challenge him, you know, to a match. But fate played a hand because Henry J. Fate was the one that caused the revolver to be sitting there next to Al Denton when he was lying in the street. And through a little bit of, uh, shall we say, trickery on fate's part, Al becomes a uh, little more respected as he sort of uh, shoots it out with Hodling and wins. And so after a little exchange with Hodling where he 
shoots a chandelier and drops it, you know, on him. Uh, people start calling him Mr. Denton, and the bartender offers him a free drink, which he declines, and he says, no, thank you, I've had enough. Now, of course, in real life, people don't sober up at the drop of a hat, even when using firearms. I mean, we see that in Florida all the time, and people are still drunk. Um, but in this case, of course, you're dealing in late 50s, early 60s TV, you know, where husband and wife still slept in separate beds, you know, on the television. So also for the nature of the time of the show, you're, you're talking a half hour show. So you couldn't really go through 15 minutes of internal struggle to see the man kick his demons. But, uh, you know, but after this, we learned that the reason Al really started drinking heavily was because the last person to challenge him to a duel was 16 years old and Al killed him in the duel. And after this, he says one of the best, I think, Serling lines in the entire episode where he kind of rubs his face and he says, I think I'm going to go get a shave because I want to look proper on the day I die. Meaning that he knows that there's going to be people all over again coming into town and challenging him to a duel to see who's fastest. Now, as much as I like this episode, I always felt that, especially in later viewings, this episode might have been better had Serling been able to flesh it out over the course of an hour-long program instead of the half-hour format that he was given, especially since originally he wanted the show to be an hour long, but CBS insisted on it being a half-hour show. So in the course of a half-hour, you have a man who is at the bottom and then sort of climbs his way out of the hole just to be afraid that he's just going to be put back into one by another guy who comes into town. So it follows a, you know, natural story arc progression where the loser character gets redemption only to find that the redemption wasn't the end of the story and that in the Twilight Zone, even redemption carries with it sort of a uh, lesson, if you will. Because you'll notice as you watch these programs, as you watch these episodes of this show, that the people that are in the Twilight Zone either get some sort of redemption or some sort of comeuppance. And even the ones that get redemption still face a little bit of the comeuppance. Almost akin to, you know, the modern day Saw, where you have not so great people that get the chance to redeem themselves but they still wind up with scars. It's that sort of thing. But it's the same in the Twilight Zone. The Twilight Zone chooses these characters for a reason, be it redemption, be it punishment, be it reward. But even the reward comes with a downside, and you'll find that it is this way in pretty much all the episodes. Some of it's more nuanced and more subtle, but it's always there. And you'll also discover that there are certain characters like the character of Henry J. Fate throughout the run of the series that are sort of the catalysts for the episodes, almost the harbingers of the Twilight Zone who mete out the punishment or reward as is deemed necessary. And those are some of my favorite episodes where you have the actual uh, sort of Twilight Zone personified into a person, whether it's Mr. Death in One for the Angels or Mr. Henry J. Fate, 
giving a drunk guy a gun giving him the opportunity to better his life in a way so Denton is all shaved up and all cleaned up he knows that people are going to come gunning for him so he tries to practice and he realizes that he can't hit the broadside of a barn with a six shooter anymore so he realizes he's doomed when the guy coming into town that is gunning for him he know he knows that if that guy's any good whatsoever that Denton is going to die so at this point fate steps in again but instead of giving him a gun he gives Denton a potion that will give him deadly accuracy for 10 seconds after he drinks the potion and so Denton of course takes it and I always love the exchange between Henry J. Fate and Al Denton where Fate basically makes him take the potion it's uh you could tell that Denton is a little apprehensive but he winds up taking it because uh Fate basically shoves it upon him and it's it's really quite a good exchange almost like he has to take it so Fate has no choice but to make him take it and this sets up for me one of the reasons why I really like this episode it sets up one of the I would think most even and best endings of a Twilight Zone episode, especially this early in the series. I mean, we're on episode three. It's not like we're on episode 90, you know. Um, But it sets up one of the best endings of the Twilight Zone episodes that I think there ever could be. Because Denton has to go to the saloon to meet the guy that rode into town that wants to have a duel with him. So, in true old western form... Al Denton dons a light-colored hat, not a black hat, and heads over to the saloon where he meets a young kid who wants to shoot, you know, wants to have a shootout with him. And so Denton has his little potion, so he goes to the bar, he drinks his potion, and he turns around, and he looks at the kid, and the kid has the same potion in his hand too, and he drank it as well. And knowing that, you see a couple of tense seconds go by and they both draw and shoot each other's guns out of each other's hands and basically ruining their hands, um, injuring them to the point that, you know, even the doc says you're probably going to have some locked up fingers and you won't really be able to use a gun for the rest of your life. And so this to me, I mean, it's it's about as even Stephen as you can get. One man who is getting back into the habit of gunslinging who may not want to winds up injuring a kid who is just getting into gunslinging and probably shouldn't be. And the kid likewise injures an old man who shouldn't be getting back into gunslinging. But for the storytelling, this is how each one receives their comeuppance, so to speak, from the Twilight Zone, from the character Henry J. Fate. So both men learned a lesson. The young kid learned that, you know, gunfighting is not the way to have a long and successful life. And Al Denton got a little bit of redemption in the form of, you know, he got cleaned up, he got off the booze, just to find out that the way he got off the booze was going to be the way that also prevented him from ever picking up a gun again and dying early. But in doing so, both men 
injured their hands to a point that they're always going to have that for the rest of their lives. The young kid longer than Denton, obviously. But that Denton will always have that hand as a remembrance of, you know, his redemption. And redemption is a big theme in this, as you'll hear now by the closing narration by Will Lastly. Mr. Henry Fate dealer in utensils and pots and pans, liniments and potions. A fanciful little man in a black frock coat, who can help a man climbing out of a pit, or another man from falling into one. Because, you see, fate can work that way in the Twilight Zone. Now, let's discuss the who of the episode. The director, Alan Reisner, had, give or take, 88 credits, uh... To him on IMDb, mostly piecework in TV series of one or two episodes per series of things like Marcus Welby or Kojak or the old Hawaii Five-O or Murder She Wrote in in later years, and he actually reason that he was doing the Twilight Zone is he had directed a teleplay written by Rod Serling for the Westinghouse Desilu Playhouse, as we discussed before, the Desilu Playhouse being ran and distributed by Desilu Productions and hosted by, of course, Desi Arnaz, who was married to Lucille Ball. But uh, he directed a an episode of the Desilu Westinghouse Playhouse entitled The Time Element, which was written by Serling, which was almost... Um, it's basically like the precursor to the Twilight Zone in in the fact that it's sort of a fantasy sort of story about about a man who can go back in time and goes back in time in order to go to Pearl Harbor in 1941 and warn the people of the Japanese invasion. It starred William Bendix, which you, if you're over the age of 70, may remember as uh, being on a radio program titled The Life of Riley, and it also starred Martin Balsam, who you'll see in a later episode of The Twilight Zone, but he also played the detective that went with Marion Crane's sister in the movie Psycho to go find where Marion had disappeared to, and they stumble upon, of course, Norman Bates. And it also stars Jesse White, who is also in an episode of The Twilight Zone later in the series, where he plays in an episode with Carol Burnett. But the time element was well-received by fans of the Desilu Westinghouse Playhouse and as well as CBS, who the program was on, and that was one of the reasons that CBS greenlit The Twilight Zone for Serling. Now, let's move on to the star of the show, Dan Durie. Dan Durie was born in 1907, and... And died in 1968. So, 61 years old when he died. He died of cancer. One really cool thing about him, the way he got into acting was he was originally in advertising when he was a young man. And he had a heart attack at the age of 24. And so he took up acting instead of advertising as a more calmer career, a less stressful sort of career, because the doctor told him that stress would kill him, would give him another heart attack, and so he got out of his high-stress advertising job 
and took up acting. Now, the interesting thing about him was that he usually played, you know, the bad guys. He usually played the the really tough, really hardcore bad guys in mostly westerns. Um, but in this episode of The Twilight Zone, he actually plays vulnerable and sad and downtrodden really well which I think shows his range as an actor. Uh, if you watch him in some of the stuff where he plays a villain, like in episodes of Wagon Train or Bonanza or Rawhide, you can see the, the stark difference. He was in a few movies as well. Um, one of the most notable ones being Flight of the Phoenix, starring Jimmy Stewart and Ernest Borgnine. Uh, they remade it in 2004 with Dennis Quaid, it's about a cargo plane that goes down in the Saharan Desert, and the crew of the plane, along with a guy who's an engineer, have to figure out a way to rebuild it before they run out of supplies and die in the desert. The original is actually a really good movie, uh, if you like movies from the 60s and the 50s. Uh, give it a look. It's really actually a, a quite good movie. Um, of course, James Stewart and... Ernest Borgnine, how could you go wrong? Now, Martin Landau played Dan Hodeling, and like I said, we'll discuss him more in detail uh, when we get to the episode The Jeopardy Room, where he plays a defector who is stuck in a hotel room. It's actually a really good episode. It's also one of my favorites. Now, Gene Cooper, who played Liz Smith in the episode... She had a relatively long and fruitful career where she played supporting characters in a lot of westerns, kind of like Dan Durier, until the 70s when she was mostly in soap operas. She quit acting in 2013 because she passed away. So 1953 to 2013, not a bad career, folks. Not a bad career. And then we come across... Mr. Malcolm Atterbury, playing Henry J. Fate, who mostly was a supporting actor and played in a lot of westerns, just like Gene Cooper and Dan Durier. He also shows up again in Season 4's episode, No Time Like the Past, and he was also in The Birds, directed by Alfred Hitchcock, of course. And he retired in 1983. Not really any trivia to speak of in this episode. Um, the story was originally written by Serling as uh, being about a school teacher who finds a gun and had always dreamed about becoming a gunslinger. And, you know, the story progresses from there. And the character's name was Mr. Dingle instead of Mr. Denton. Now, if you're a fan of The Twilight Zone, you'll realize that not too long from now, there is an episode entitled Mr. Dingle the Strong, starring Burgess Meredith in a later season. And, of course, this harkens back to this the originality of this episode. But for this teleplay, the name was changed to Denton, and the occupation was gone away from school teacher. In fact, if you go on YouTube and you search Rod Serling, you will find an old promo reel for the Twilight Zone that Serling made and sent to potential sponsors outlining a number of the episodes for the first season. And he even references the name Mr. Dingle 
at that point. But give it a look. It's actually a really cool little couple of minute long clip of Rod Serling behind the scenes, so to speak. And also the name Denton was used in an earlier work by Serling uh, titled A Town Is Turned to Dust, which involves the Emmett Till case, which if you don't know anything about that, uh, do some research on that. You'll find uh, it's it's quite interesting and, and quite enthralling and quite anger-inducing. Uh, but we will discuss that in a later episode because the Emmett Till case is directly d- tied to one of the episodes of The Twilight Zone, and we will discuss that when we get to it. So stay tuned for that. As far as goofs uh, in the episode, there's a couple of them. In the opening shot, you see a guy coming in on a uh, on a wagon, and if you look in the background, you can see oil wells and a graded road behind him, of which there wasn't graded roads or oil wells in the 1800s. Also, in another scene, when he's out in the street, Denton's out in the street talking to Liz, he has a scratch on his face that appears and disappears. And, of course, we discussed the How Dry I Am song and how it was, at that point, uh, historically inaccurate. Also, antennas can be seen in the distance uh, in some of the shots. Now, on to the morality slash philosophy of this episode. I mean, obviously, it's a it's a tale of redemption, of course. Um, guy down in his luck gets a chance at something bigger, and he takes it, but in the end, winds up no better than he was, but better than he was. You know what I mean? Uh, Denton winds up still somewhat being a poor sad sack, but no longer being a drunk and no longer living in fear of anyone. So maybe Serling was trying to show us that no matter how late in life it is, it's never too late to turn around and become a better person. And maybe sometimes all you need is that little bit of fate, that little bit of nudge to put you in the right direction. Now, for my likes and dislikes of the episode. For my likes, uh, obviously, Dan Duryea's performance of Al Denton was really good, even for 1950s, 1960s TV shows. It was really well done, and and he played the sort of character to have a sadness and sort of a self-hate that you could it it was very palpable you could feel it in his performance and it was very well done and I also thought that Martin Landau was really good as hodling and playing an evil character I felt he did that quite well because he has this on-screen presence that's very menacing and very very powerful he's a he was a strong man to look at you know what I mean? He's got a very chiseled face. Being a younger man, he's very angular face, very, very um, crazy eyes. I mean, he's he's just, he's got the look, and he plays the part really well. And I think he does a fantastic job. And in the scheme of things, I think they did the Western theme, quote-unquote, in this episode better than they did it in some of the uh, preceding episodes to follow. Now for my dislikes of the episode. Um, Jeannie Cooper was good, but let's be honest, her character was really only there to kind of 
lazily schlub the you know the plot across and kind of keep things sort of moving even though it's not a very um in-depth episode so to speak uh i feel like once again if this were made into an hour-long program and her character could have more to do and maybe be fleshed out a little better i think that would have been a really good addition to this story and and this episode as a whole now of course i also didn't care for the whole thing of the character's name being henry j fate i felt that was a little too little too strong a little too a bit much they could have done better serling could have done better in that respect he could have named him anything the character would have been the same i mean let's be honest but once again we're talking about a 60 year old tv show there were certainly a lot worse things and a lot more ham-fisted things back then that were even more on the nose and one thing I, I also have to take a little bit of a uh, bit of note with is, as I discussed earlier, uh, Al Denton and a lot of the characters sweat a lot, but some of them don't sweat at all, and I kind of find that hard to believe. They should have added more sweat, I think. Now, if I were in charge of casting this episode today, if this episode were to be remade and they said, Bill, who would you choose to be these characters? Who would you choose to play the characters? Well, for Al Denton, I would choose uh, Jeffrey Dean Morgan, who, of course, is on The Walking Dead. Uh, if you haven't seen it, give it a look. The first couple of seasons are really good. But once about the time that uh, Jeffrey Dean Morgan's character shows up, it starts to go downhill quickly. But he is one hell of an actor, and I think uh, in this role he would knock it out of the park. A little inside joke for the uh, Walking Dead. Now, for Liz, I would almost go with Jenna Fisher. And once again, I think this could be fleshed out into a better, a better role, a little meatier, and actually give her something to do, because I think this would kind of suit her really good. Now for Dan Hodling, who can you get that could replace the menacing crazy eyes of Martin Landau and, you know, not have it be Willem Dafoe? I think I would go in a little bit of a different way and cast Jason Lee as Hodling because I think he could really, I think he could do it and I think it'd be good for him. You know, he's he's got more range than just my name is Earl. You know what I mean? And for Henry J. Fate, I think I'd have to go old school and get Mr. John Goodman in on the action. Because, once again, you got a small role, fill it with a big actor. No pun intended on that. Now, at this point in the episode, I would have some listener feedback, but I doubt I have any listeners, and therefore I don't have any listener feedback. So, let's discuss next week's episode. Next week's episode is titled The 16mm Shrine, and it's about a woman who lives her life looking backwards and gets a little more than she bargained for. So, if you would, like and subscribe. Tell your friends, tell your neighbors, tell everyone, tell your mailman about it. If you talk to them, 
you know, and like and subscribe. If you want to get in touch with me, if you want to leave me feedback, if you want to ask questions, if you want to tell me hi or tell me to shut up, email me at dimensionstzpodcast at gmail.com, and I'll be sure to read it all. So, the clock on the wall is telling me it's time to go, so I will see you next time. Goodbye, everybody.